Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the New Testament, to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. This is number six in our series on the Holy Spirit. Today we will be speaking on the protocol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a protocol that if we will apply it to our lives and to our church services, I believe it will impact things for the better, for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Last week we spoke about the gifts of the Spirit. In the Greek language, there are three Greek words that I've discovered in the New Testament that can be translated as gift. There's the word dorea, which is a word that can refer to the gift of salvation and and other kinds of gifts as well. But this is a word that Peter used in Acts chapter 2 when he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift or the dorea of the Holy Spirit. Then there's the word doma, which Ephesians chapter 4 talks about Jesus Christ descending and then ascending and then giving gifts to men. And this is the word doma. The gifts that he gives to men in Ephesians 4 are apostles. That is those who are sent out to do work for God, resulting in the planning of churches and such. This is what Jesus was. He was an apostle. He was sent from heaven to come to establish the church in the earth. Uh, then there's prophets. That is those who are called to exhort the body and to encourage the body in unique ways that are unique to prophets. And Christ certainly was a prophet anointed to do mighty feats for God. Yet he was also the son of God, much more than a prophet. Then there's evangelists. Those who do mighty works in the name of God for the furtherance of the kingdom, the preaching of the gospel to those who've never heard it. Jesus Christ most certainly was an evangelist. The Greek word for evangelist is the word euangelos, which is the word you for good. You have the word eulogy, which is good words, or euangelos, which is good angel or a good messenger. And then we have pastors and teachers, which Christ most certainly was a teacher. His first sermon is called the Sermon on the Mount, and that, that was a group of his teachings. Uh, he certainly was a shepherd. He is the good shepherd, which is what a pastor is, is a shepherd. And these Doma gifts were given to the church for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, not being blown about by every wind of doctrine. So the Doma gifts are to mature the body, to equip the body for ministry, and to enable the body to continue the ministry of Jesus, who was an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And then there are the gifts we looked at last week, which is the use of the Greek word charis, mata, which the word charis means grace. These are gifts given by God's grace, gifts of power, gifts of proclamation, and gifts of perception given to the church to enable us to minister supernaturally in a natural world. And so with that, let's look at our text, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. He said, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So he's talking about 
the fact that corporately we're the body, yet individually we are unique members. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. What I think Paul is doing here is he is combining the charismatic gifts with the Doma gifts and possibly even with the motivational gifts that he speaks of in Romans chapter 12. The Doma gifts, we see apostles, we see prophets, we see teachers, but we don't see pastors or evangelists in this listing. Yet if you'll bear with me here, I think I can help you see them. Uh, we see apostles, we see prophets, we see teachers, but where's pastors, where, uh, where's evangelist? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some people call that the fivefold ministry. Others call it the fourfold, being apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then the fourth one being pastors and teachers. I believe that a person can be a, be a teacher without being a pastor, but I don't think it's possible to be a pastor and a teacher and without being a teacher. So in my own calling, I'm a pastor teacher or I'm a pastor and teacher, which is something I'm attempting to do today. So in this list, apostles, prophets, teachers, I see the word teacher as including pastors because they're included in Ephesians 4. Then after that, miracles, then gifts of healings. I think this certainly speaks of the ministry of an evangelist. In Acts 8, Philip was functioning as an evangelist, leading hundreds of people to faith in Christ. And there were miracles, signs and wonders and healings done through this man's ministry. So miracles and gifts of healings, I think, are gifts that flow with evangelism. As Christians, we are called to be apostolic. We're called to help establish God's kingdom where it isn't. We're called to be a prophetic people. Uh, called to proclaim the goodness of God everywhere we go. We're called to be teachers and pastors, that is, shepherds, drawing people into the lordship of Christ. We're called to be evangelistic, to tell people that have never heard before of the goodness of God. And God will use us with signs following. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus said, These signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick. They will recover. They will cast out devils. They will speak with new tongues, and he lists some other miraculous things that believers will do. So I think the office of an evangelist is to minister in those areas as well as to equip the saints to minister in those areas. And then we have uh, things that are mentioned in Romans 12, what we call the motivational gifts, helps, administrations, and varieties of tongues. Now, we see that there's all different kinds of languages in the world, which is what varieties of tongues could mean, but I also think there's a different kind of gifting when it comes to tongues that we'll get into later. He ends chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians with this question. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have the gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implied answer to these questions is no. Everybody's not an apostle. Everybody's not a prophet. Everybody's not a teacher. Everybody doesn't flow in these gifts. Now, look at the next verse, though. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. 
I feel that sometimes as saints, because we're not apostles and prophets and teachers, and we've not seen a miracle, we would assume, well, we're not gifted in working of miracles. We're not gifted in seeing people healed. Somebody else is. And we feel cheated in some way. But notice verse 30, Paul said, but earnestly desire the best gifts. Now, one can't be an apostle just because he wants to be. Only God can make an apostle. One cannot work a healing just because he wants to. God has to do it. But I think our part is to desire the gifts that God has for us, to pursue us. Maybe you've never laid hands on anyone that was healed. And yet tomorrow, that door and opportunity could be yours to walk through. But if you give up and don't desire to be using the gifts of the Spirit, maybe you wouldn't see it happen. Now, I recognize the sovereignty of God. He wills all things, but yet he wills to work through his people. And his will is for us, as this verse says, to earnestly desire the best gifts. And I don't think that's going to set us up to live a life of disappointment. I think that sets us up to live a life full of surprises where God uses us in incredible ways. And yet, his last phrase in chapter 12 is, I show you a more excellent way. Let's look at the protocol of the Holy Spirit, starting with this more excellent way. Next chapter, he begins with these words. And keep in mind, Paul didn't divide this book up into chapters and verses. People did this so we could find statements more easily. Look at this statement. Though I speak with tongues, the tongues of men and of angels, But have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Without love, any of the gifts of the Spirit is just noise. The lack of love in our life discredits the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love is the foundation for ministry and the motivation for ministry. Ministry simply is to let love find its destination. In you and I, according to the Holy Spirit and the scriptures, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And when we express that kindness to others, We're walking in alignment with the purpose of the kingdom. The reason God saved us was to be ambassadors for the kingdom, to show the world that he loves them. And so without love, ministry falls short of being legitimate. Is the way I see these verses mean. He's not discrediting tongues. He is not discrediting the gift of prophecy or knowledge or understanding all mysteries or having faith to remove mountains. He's simply saying, without love, it's not legitimate. Let's look at verse 8. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done 
away. Now, some have interpreted these verses to mean that the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural workings of God, were going to cease when the when the Bible came into existence. But I want to challenge that, take exception to that. Uh, some would assume that by saying that the gifts of the Spirit are still in operation for the church today, that we are saying the Bible isn't perfect. That is a trick to try to leverage us into a life without the supernatural. I believe the Bible is perfect, and I believe it is a textbook that we should pay attention to. And whoever heard of a textbook which its birthing actually did away with part of its subject. I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is more than part of our history, that it is part of our reality in the present day. It seems that some Christians would like to put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts into the Old Testament and take the rest of the New Testament as relevant for us today. But look at this verse. This is actually coming from 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, Uh uh-oh. I remember years ago, I preached a sermon on how some people don't really apply the word, don't rightly divide the word to their life, and I was tearing out pages out of what people thought were a Bible, and we don't believe this is for us today, and I tear out some pages. This doesn't apply today. I tear out some more pages. Uh, This isn't for today. I tear out some more pages. Uh, The Old Testament has no relevance today, so I tore out all those pages before I was done with the sermon, I just had a little bitty booklet with a few pages in it. Or people found out later that I was tearing up a Book of Mormon while I was doing it, leading, leading them to think it was a Bible. But the truth is, many times, if we'll be honest in our Christian walk, we're only applying a few pages of the Scripture to our life, or the rest of it we are picking and choosing. Uh, like a kid in the school cafeteria, I want some of this, but I don't want some of that. The scriptures teach us to rightly divide. I believe all the New Testament is for the saints. Now, the book of Revelation, uh, some parts of that are yet to be fulfilled, but good chunks of that are for us certainly to today. So we can't throw all of that into the future. Here he says, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. There is such a thing as false prophecies, false prophets, but there also is such a thing. A person just makes a mistake. They got excited like Peter Thought he had a prophetic utterance. Let's build three tabernacles when he saw Elijah, Moses, and Jesus. Of course, a voice from heaven corrected him, say, Here, my beloved, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Sometimes we listen to in our excitement and come up with a prophetic utterance that may not be of God. The joyous thing about living in the New Testament is a person isn't stoned. I just think it's important that if we miss it, that we admit it so that we can go on and be more careful next time. We are used in the gifts. Notice that we know in part, we prophesy in part, according to verse 10, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. The gifts of the Spirit are not perfect. That is, they do not answer all of our questions. Sometimes one prophecy will answer some questions, but generate new ones. And we have more questions than we had before. But yet prophecy is to motivate us to move forward. A person prophetically may know they are called to start a church. But in the prophecies they've received to confirm that calling, they don't have all their questions answered, like where we're supposed to meet, how how are we supposed to begin, who, what, when, and where issues sometimes have to be worked out. This is where faith comes into operation. 
Thank God that although prophecy isn't perfect and it's partial, thank God that we get the part that we have. I may want the whole pie, but thank God for the piece of pie that the Lord gives me. Now, there are some people who are such perfectionists. If everything isn't perfect, they don't think God is involved. And they miss out on the fact that faith comes into place when we don't have all the answers and we step out and attempt to do the impossible and allow God to come through and and produce impossible feats through us. So maybe everybody you pray for isn't healed, but some are. Thank God for those that are and not worry about the answers to your questions. Who knows that they're not being healed gradually every day? Who knows that they're not healed already if you haven't seen them in a while? You don't know. Our part is to be obedient and to function the gifts by faith, earnestly desiring to be used by the Lord. All right, let's go to the next chapter, 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Remember, chapter 12 ended with earnestly desire the best gifts. Here, chapter 14 begins with pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. We are to desire to prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Notice he does not say he speaks nonsense. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. This, I believe, is what New Testament prophecy is. To edify, that is to build up, to exhort, that is to call up, and to comfort, which is to calm down. Prophecy is to serve in these three ways. If you study the role of apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers in Ephesians 4... He tells them to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up or the edifying of the body of Christ. So ultimately, what prophecy is to do, all the gifts are to result in doing. Next verse. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. So you can see that speaking in tongues is not a bad thing. It's a way to be edified. And prophecy is a better thing because it's a way to edify people other than yourself. Paul then goes on to say, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So it's important that in our church services, we understand what's going on. We leave not confused. So if we come together in church, we all speak in tongues. We may all personally be edified, but corporately there's no edification happening. And unbelievers and uninformed people will think we're nuts. Let's skip on down to verse 12. Uh, verse 6 through 11 talks about how there needs to be a certainty of sound in church services. And with prophecy, there's a certain sound because it's understood, whereas with tongues, it's not clearly understood what is going on. Now, I've had some prophecies come across my desk 
that while they are in my native tongue, there is confusing. They may as well be written in tongues as others. So for me, I believe if prophecy truly is of God, it's easily understood. It's clear the point that's being made. It's not some mysterious, weird riddle. Look at verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. What I see here in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is the foundation for ministry, the direction of ministry, and the ultimate goal of ministry. The foundation of ministry is love. The direction of ministry is love. Out of a heart filled with love, we minister in the power of love. We speak the truth in love. Letting love find its destination is what Gary Benjamin from Shady Grove Church in Grand Prairie says ministry is. What is the goal of ministry? Look at it. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. It's the building up of the body of Christ that is the goal of ministry. This is why in Ephesians 4, the gifts of Christ, the Doma gifts, are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Because of this, if anyone speaks in a tongue, in a church service is what he's talking about, they should pray that they should interpret. When tongues are interpreted, he is saying here they are equivalent to prophecy because people in the crowd, in the church meeting, can understand what is being said, just as they can when prophecies going forth in their language. My first date with a vet, I took her to a Portuguese Assembly of God church. The only thing she understood in the service was me when I preached through an interpreter. At the end of that sermon, they had ministry, they had tongues and interpretation, and they had prophecy, none of which a vet understood uh, but I understood what was going on, but I didn't understand either. So we were not edified. We had that experience of not being edified in a church service. Um, so the same principle applies here. If you speak in tongues in a church service, you should pray for the interpretation. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice he switched from speaking in tongues. Now he's talking about praying in tongues. The Greek word he used for pray is the word prosukamai, which is to prostrate oneself while speaking words of blessing, to bless, to worship, to pray, to praise. Uh, In a tongue is the activity of our spirit, but our mind or our understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? No longer pray in tongues? No. Here's his conclusion. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. From the context here, you can see that praying with the Spirit goes with praying in tongues, and praying with the understanding goes with our understanding. Let's read the context again. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the result then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. 
Now, what we're talking about this morning is Holy, Holy Spirit protocol. What is a protocol for the Holy Spirit when it comes to tongues? I believe in a public setting, the best protocol to follow is to speak in tongues that are going to be interpreted. And if no interpretation comes, then there should be no more speaking in tongues. Publicly, that is, where everyone in the room hears the person speaking. Uh, but the conclusion of this matter is our spirit prays when we pray in tongues. Therefore, there should be a place for praying in the spirit and, of course, a place for praying with understanding. Singing with the Spirit, a place for singing with understanding. Verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving and thanks, since he does not understand what you say? So blessing with the Spirit is to bless in tongues. If you pray over a meal in other tongues, how will the people at the table who don't understand you Notice the amen of what you just said. Maybe you didn't say something that would have blessed their food. Goes on to say, for you indeed give thanks well. The blessing tongues can be really a good thing, but the other people sitting at the table are not going to be edified. Notice this. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, how is this possible? I speak in tongues more than you, but when I'm with you, I would rather speak words that you understood than 10,000 that you don't understand. Yet, I speak in tongues more than you. The obvious point is he is talking about private prayer time. In private prayer, there's a place to pray in the Spirit and pray with your understanding, to sing in the Spirit, to sing with understanding, to bless with the Spirit, to bless with understanding, to worship in the Spirit, and to worship with your understanding. But in the church, it's necessary to speak words of understanding so that the church can be edified. That's what we're pushing towards. In private, in private, We can be edified without edifying others because it's just us and the Lord. And there is a place in private for praying in the spirit. Look at verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, He is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. This is something I've earnestly desired. is for unbelievers to fall on their face, worship God, and report that God is truly among us. Because without the presence of God, we have nothing. Amen? So we need the gifts of the Spirit to confirm the presence of God. That is why things need to be able to be understood by unbelievers and uninformed people in our midst so they don't think we're out of our mind, but we are convinced by the power of the Spirit. So when the Spirit's protocol is followed, I believe, we will benefit with growth. I wrote this statement. The protocol of the Holy Spirit will reveal the reality of God and his love by building up his people through encouragement, 
empowerment, and enlargement. In no way, shape, or form am I attempting to put down speaking in tongues. I'm just attempting to communicate the protocol for speaking in tongues. Let's look at praying with the Spirit. Let's just focus on that. The verse we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. So there is a place for praying in the Spirit and a place for praying with our understanding. The New Living Translation translates verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 14 as, Well then, what shall I do? I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. So when a person is praying in tongues, singing in tongues, speaking in tongues, they do not understand what they're saying unless an interpretation comes. Yet they are being edified. This is the mystery of the power of God. God is praying through us words we don't know and we are being edified. How is this possible? Have you ever had a concern, a great need, so great you didn't know how to pray for it? The Holy Spirit can help us to pray for it and cover all the bases. And you have a sense when you're done of having prayed the perfect will of God because the Holy Spirit helps perfect our prayers. Knowing that God has heard you and he has helped you pray gives you confidence and you are edified. So let's talk about tongues. There's four kinds of tongues that I see in Scripture. Number one, there's this, tongues can be a sign of Holy Spirit baptism. We see this in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. Um, in Acts chapter 2, there were people there that understood what they were saying. They were declaring the wonderful works of God. In Acts chapter 10, they're speaking in tongues also. And magnifying God. In Acts chapter 19, they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. So tongues can be a sign that someone is being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Another kind of tongues is tongues can be a gift to be interpreted. Let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret so that others may be, in, may be edified. So there's that kind of tongue. There's tongues that are assigned to unbelievers. Um, we see this in Acts chapter 2. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a sign of Holy Spirit baptism. But also it's a sign to unbelievers. There were there men there from every nation under heaven. And it goes on and lists 15 nationalities who heard these people, various groups of them, I'm sure, speaking in languages they didn't know but were the languages belonging to the homeland of the people that came to behold the phenomenon of what was happening. And it was a sign to unbelievers. They were ready to hear the gospel. This happens in our day and time. Years ago in Bloomington, Illinois, my sister was singing. And while she was singing in a church service, she was impressed to sing in other tongues. Other Another person was in the service whom she didn't know, who was an exchange student from France who was attending Illinois State University. 
in Bloomington, Illinois, which is a twin city to in Normal, Illinois, which is a twin city to Bloomington. And she heard my sister singing in French. So powerful was this experience, the lady got saved. Uh, my sister-in-law got saved after hearing Yvette pray in tongues, which she said was Sanskrit, which is an ancient Asian language that she had been studying. And it convinced her that there was something to this Jesus business. So she turned her life to the Lord in her own town at a citywide meeting at Eastridge Baptist Church, now known as Crossroads Prayer Center. Uh, we were having a citywide meeting and Father Jared Foster, who at the time was the pastor of Good Shepherd Episcopal Church right here in Acton, he came to that meeting and he came forward for prayer during the time for ministry. And Larry Dixon happened to be the person that prayed for him. And when Larry prayed for him, he began to pray in tongues. And I thought, oh, Larry, don't do that. That's not scriptural. But unknown to me, Father Jared was understanding him. And he fell out on the floor. And a few minutes later, Father Jared got up, went to Larry and said, where did you learn Latin? You were praying over me in Latin. And it was a sign to Father Jared of the reality of the Spirit. And Father Jared uh, began to pursue more and more things of the Spirit, went through deliverance. All kinds of other changes happened in his life to the point he, I think he was pressured to leave that congregation. So it's a sign to unbelievers. An amazing story was told uh, by Keith Grissom. Marsha Grissom, our high school principal, has two boys, Mark and Keith. Uh, Keith teaches art um, up close to Allen, Texas. I can't remember the name of the town at a, at a school. Uh, Keith tells this story that he was on a mission to Mexico and he knew very little Spanish. And he went to door to door ministry with another person who knew, knew very little Spanish. And something happened that day while they're ministering to Spanish speaking people. Suddenly they had the ability to speak in fluent Spanish out doing evangelism. When the day was over, they returned to their own inadequate Spanish. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. God is able to do anything. Amen? Number four, tongues are for praying in the Spirit. So we see number one in Acts chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19. We see number two mentioned in um, 1 Corinthians 14. Let him, he speaks in a tongue, pray that he may interpret. And we see uh, number three is assigned to unbelievers mentioned in Isaiah 28, where God says, with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to this people, yet they would not believe. To whom he says, this is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. And we see this spoken of in 1 Corinthians 14. In the same chapter we've just read, where Paul sp speaks about him speaking in tongues more than anyone, yet in church, speaking words that people understand, even if it's much less words. And it's obvious that he was praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit is mentioned other places in the Bible that we'll look at briefly here. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
I think the Weymouth translation says something about with speech that cannot be articulated. The basic uh, Bible English translation says, and in the same way, the spirit is a help to our feeble hearts, for we are not able to make prayer to God in the right way. But the spirit puts our desires into words, which are not in our power to say. I believe this is speaking of praying in the spirit. Ephesians 6 is talking about putting on the whole armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And above all, the shield of faith with which we may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So here we have this imagery of someone being suited up with this equipment. And then the next verse tells us what to do. Praying always with all prayer. Let's say all prayer, all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The contemporary English version says this. Always pray by the power of the spirit. Stand alert and keep praying for God's people. The New Living says pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. And the basic Bible says making requests at all times in the spirit. So you see the spirit helps us pray. Have you ever had a difficult time praying? It's just like walking through mud. You're just in trouble so thick. Well, Jesus promised us another comforter, another helper to come and help us. And the Holy Spirit helps us pray. When we pray in other tongues, it's not based on how we feel or on our circumstances or our understanding. We're just praying words by faith, one syllable at a time, as the Holy Spirit gives them to us, enabling us to pray powerful prayers that leaves us feeling edified and strengthened and built up. I love this. Look at Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Remember Paul said he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. That is an edifice, edifices himself. It's a building up. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. The contemporary English says, Dear friends, keep building on the foundation of your most holy faith as the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. The basic Bible talks us talks to us about making prayers in the Holy Spirit. The New Living says, Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think we can agree the Holy Spirit has come to help us. And he comes to help us pray. And certainly praying in tongues could be called praying in the Spirit. So it is biblical to pray in other tongues. And we pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person listening to this teaching. I pray, Lord, that it would be taken to heart and applied to every life. Lord, may we earnestly desire the best gifts and be eager to receive any that you have for us. I pray, Lord, for those that are not saved, that they realize that Christianity is powerful, that there's a lot of depth here and great things to discover if we'll but open our lives up to you. I pray, Lord, for those who are saved, Lord, that we would open ourselves up to the possibility of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, for those who have received the Holy Spirit, that they would be open to praying in the Spirit, Lord, as you enable them.
In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I was pastoring another church, and I went through a tremendous season uh, that I call dark days, dark days of the soul. I thought I was losing it. I thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I, I was crying for no reason. I was depressed. I was hard to get along with. But I noticed if before I came home from work, if I would stop at the church and pray in tongues for an hour, when I got home, I would be fine. But then the next day, the darkness would be back. And if I went home without stopping at the church to pray in tongues for an hour, it would be a rough night. So my wife and children released me, Daddy, go to church and pray first before you come home. And during that season, my mind um, just couldn't accept the fact that praying in tongues was doing any good to what I was experiencing. It messed with my mind. Uh, you know, when you when you speak in English, pray in English, you understand what you're saying. You understand the words, the phrases, the sentences, the paragraphs, the points that you're making. But in tongues, it's just a bunch of syllables. And you're doing it by faith, trusting God to enable you to pray prayers that God will answer. But during that season, it lasted several weeks, maybe even months, that was built into me the revelation that praying in the Spirit is powerful. Prior to this, I had been raised with the belief that tongues was an evidence of receiving the Holy Spirit and something that happened when you got blessed or encouraged or in a powerful meeting, but it was not necessarily a weapon to wear or to use when you put on your armor. But during those days, I had to get a hold of God. I had to put the demons or whatever it was that was coming against me under my feet. And the Holy Spirit enabled me to do this by praying in the Spirit. I don't pray in the Spirit as much as I should, but I do pray in the Spirit often. And I must say, I would not be here today doing what I'm doing were it not for the reality and benefit of this weapon of warfare to pray as the Holy Spirit helps in other tongues. What's your story? You have a story. And if you're struggling, I encourage you to get help. If you're believing lies, you need to find out the truth. You need counseling, go for it. But if it's demons coming against you, get help and pray. But begin to fight yourself by praying in the Spirit. And we pray. Almighty God, I pray for every person here that doesn't know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you. And I pray, Lord, for those who do know you, that they would be open to receiving the Holy Spirit. And those who have received the Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that they would be open to praying in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to open the front right now. And we are going to pray with you as the Lord leads us. So in a minute, we're going to have people stand. Have everyone stand and the prayer team come forward. And as the prayer team comes forward, I invite you to come forward with them to receive prayer. All right. Let's stand. And let's come forward and allow these loving brothers and sisters to pray for you as God enables them in the power of the Spirit.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Jesus, all that He has I love the fragrance, the fragrance of you. Oh, oh, oh.